Well, how many of you guys have enjoyed um, Exodus so far? Any of you guys received anything from it? Good. Praise God. So today we're going to be in it again. We're going to be looking mostly at Exodus 9, and then we're going to get into um, maybe Exodus 10 next week. Maybe we'll just mention, this is as far as we'll probably get into Exodus 10 today. Hey guys, go home and read Exodus 10. Next week we'll get into Exodus 11 and 12, and then um, we'll reevaluate how we want to go moving forward. But there's just good information. And when I've been thinking through this, many of us get anxious about, we're still in Exodus, we're still in Exodus, we're still in Exodus. Fine, next week we're going to be in the Word of God, right? Amen? That's where we're going to be. 40 years. <laughs> yep. So maybe we'll be in Exodus for 40 years. So today we have, um, Bart is going to be preaching, so Bart, won't you come on up? Give Bart a round of applause. So we had our, our men's weekend yesterday that I was speaking at. And then I have foundations class on Tuesday that I'll be speaking at. So then I said, hey, Bart, I have three. You have one. Will you lessen the load and make it two and two? And he said, sure. So Bart spoke yesterday, and now he's going to speak again today. So let's pray for him and then... Um, yeah, I'll pray for you guys. Father, I thank you for Bart. I thank you for his friendship. I ask that you would just um, flow through him today, that you give us ears to hear, hearts to receive, minds to comprehend, feet that just want to run with obedience for you. Help us renew our minds and that this word would land on fertile soil today. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. All right, thank you, Pastor Joey. I gotta quit bringing so many books up here. This thing's kind of small. Um, so we're going. Joey and I have known each other for a long time, but I can tell that he needs to really get to know me a little bit more. Because when he said, "Hey, I need you to teach Exodus chapter nine and chapter 10, I was like, "What time do you want these people to go home?" <laughs> like, if you've ever really dug into especially the Old Testament, there's so much in every verse that I said, I think we'll get like half of nine done. Because you all want to go to dinner tonight, right? <laughs> like, um, I'm sure, what time's Der Dutchman close? Anybody know? I got you all day long. So, perfect. Fantastic. <laughs> We still got some leftovers from the men's meeting, so that'll be great. So we're going to be in Exodus chapter 9. As Pastor Joey mentioned, we had the uh, men's group, this uh, men's uh, conference yesterday, and uh, it was great, you know, a lot of men interacting, and that's one thing, <clears throat> that's one thing that we need to do more as men, interact with one another and get to know each other, and uh, kudos to the ladies, you guys are fantastic at that. Um, us men, we want, we've got that one part of our brain. Somebody mentioned it yesterday that when somebody's like, what are you doing? You're like, nothing. We got that part of the brain that we like, we like to do nothing sometimes. And so that's, thank you. And so that's, that's, uh, Shelly's agreeing with me. Thank you so much. <clears throat> but that's something that the men are like, right? And so we need to do a lot better at that. So Exodus chapter nine, um, talks a lot about a hard heart. 
And it also talks about obedience. There's so many perspectives in Exodus. There's the perspective of the Israelites, right? And, uh, and they're in captivity. There's the perspective of the Egyptians. There's the perspective of Pharaoh. And then Moses and Aaron. And you can divide into teams. You can be like, it's Moses, Aaron, and the Israelites. But a few chapters from now, the Israelites want to kill Moses and Aaron. So that's not really the same team. And then you've got Pharaoh and the Egyptians, and everybody's got a dilemma, and I'm not going to choose what person you are in this story. That's for the Holy Spirit to convict your heart. I'm not saying that y'all get to be Moses. Some of you might be uh, the Israelites. Some of you might be Pharaoh, and some of you might be one of the donkeys or horses that got cursed. I don't know. I don't know. That's up to you and the Holy Spirit. So any of you ever been through hardship? I would say probably 100% of people, right? Are you guaranteed uh, a pass with hardship? Hardship comes, doesn't it? And uh, it's difficult. And uh, sometimes it can come at an early age. Sometimes it comes at a later age. And sometimes you're like, I wish it would just stop coming. Hardship is difficult. And even when you're a Christian, you don't get a pass. You know, and a lot of people, I, I think, believe that once you give your life to Jesus Christ, whew, smooth sailing from there. No, not at all. Matter of fact, uh, I'm not going to say it gets harder. It just gets different. Uh, the hardship, the perspective is different. And, uh, and we'll, we'll look at that a little bit too. But some of us have been through those trials and hardships, and some of us are currently going through them. And so this message will be good for you, as it's good for me. Uh, pastors or leaders or anybody that speaks the word of God, uh, they also go through those trials and hardships. Uh, we talked yesterday about snares and traps and that the enemy sets those. Just do a study on your own. All through Scripture, Satan is setting traps and snares for you. You're being hunted. And why would he do such a thing? Because together, when we're unified for Christ, how powerful is that? It's so powerful. Just look at this country. It's in complete disarray because of one particular thing. We're not unified. You've got men, you've got women, right? You've got this age group and that age group. Black people and white people. Nobody's unified. Why? Because we're being told by a whisper to not be. We're being told we're divided instead of just saying, well, I'm not going to accept that anymore. And so church is no different. Life is no different. Actually, I believe life outside of church is just an example of what's going on in our own little buildings and homes. So the love of Christ unifies. I don't care what skin tone you have. I don't care what age you are. I don't care what gender you are. I don't care your past, present, or future. The love of Christ unifies his people, period. And Exodus draws that out, but the process is very yucky. It's the process that gets to be hard. Unfortunately, in 2017, I got to learn a lot of lessons that I get to use in Scripture now, or in teaching now. Um, one particular one is the stage of a process. For instance, um, I got diagnosed with cancer in August, and that was pretty weird, right? Um, you go in, and then they come out, and they're scared to tell you. Who wants that job? Who would ever want that job? But they come and they tell you, uh, we found a tumor, we did the test on it, and, and it's cancer. Okay, and then my ignorance, because sometimes ignorance is great, 
It's fearless sometimes, right? My ignorance is like, well, can we do surgery next week? <laughs> some of you, I'm glad some of you don't know how funny that is. But that's so funny because uh, this is going to take the next year of your life away. Like, it becomes the most important thing in your life for the next year. So then a process started that I learned a great deal from. And the process went like this. Now, after you get diagnosed, then you got to go and tell everybody that you've got cancer. That's not fun. You know, that's awful because then you're inviting everyone's words. And not everyone is so encouraging. They don't mean to be. They love you. Just what do you say? And the typical phrase you get is the genealogy of everyone they know that have died of cancer. I've got cancer. Well, Uncle Bob had it too, and he didn't last long, and then Linda had it, and then Tom had it. Everybody I know that had it died. And you're like, well, I'm going to try to not die. I just thought you should know. I'm telling you, that's the truth. And anybody that's had it, that's how it goes, man. And, and, and it's, it, it gets to be kind of funny. It does. Because I love, I mean, we just don't know what to say sometimes. And then we just talk. And that's fine. It's fine. And then it's like, well, what do you have? Well, I've got uh, stage three colon cancer. Oh, well, that's not a bad one. Oh, good. Glad I, got be- glad I got blessed with the best cancer to have. I'll let the surgeon know. And, uh, but it, it became funny. It did. It really did. And anybody that knows me that has walked through this process with me, I've made fun of cancer the entire time. Because it got to a place in my life where God used kind of the silliness to get my mind right. And so then I would go to scripture, and throughout that process of preparing for surgery, which I have no idea what that's like, and then this thing called chemo and radiation. Sounds interesting, but the process is different. So you hear it, and you're like, okay, well, what we're going to do is uh, 28 radiation sessions, and then we're going to do seven weeks of chemo, and then we're going to do surgery, and then we're going to do uh, 16 more weeks of chemo. Okay, yeah, cool. Let's get it done. Let's do it, right? And then you show up, and any of, anybody in here that's modest, you don't get to be when you have cancer. You don't get to be. They, you, just, you just learn to go in and be like, all right, whatever. And, uh, and they take, they do whatever they got to do. And so I'll leave it there. Um, if, the, if this was men's conference yesterday, you would have heard a lot more story. But this being recorded? Oh, no. Okay. So <clears throat> once you lose, once you lose that guard, once you put that down, God teaches you a lot also. Right? Because one of the biggest lessons that I learned through that process was I'm me and I'm not in control of anything at this time, but I've got a God that is. And that's, that's okay. And so through that process, then you start chemo and radiation. And, and you get your first radiation treatment and you get your first chemo treatment. And you're like, that ain't that bad. And then you go home and almost die. You're like, oh my gosh, now it's bad, right? And it gets really bad. I mean, it, you do not feel well. You feel terrible. 
And then it's got weird side effects. And I'm only telling you all of this because of what we're about to read in Exodus 9 reminded me a whole lot of a terrible process. So then you go home and the doctor's like, they can't inform you of everything. The doctor never had cancer before. So he's only going on what he heard, right? And so he's like, hey, you're going to have some sensitivity to the cold. Okay, all right. So don't, you know, don't drink anything with ice cubes in it and so forth. And when you go outside, and it was winter when I was going through a lot of this, when you go outside, you know, the air will hit your lungs and it might, you know, you might freak out a little bit, but don't worry, it's no big deal. And, uh, and then you might feel, uh, you know, you might feel like your teeth are falling out. Um, you know, it's, you're, it's, it's okay, everybody goes through this and you might feel, I'm like, dude, I'm ready, man. I played football, I feel dressed dear. I did, man, I'm a man, right? And then I turn into a little infant really quick because you walk outside and I don't know why he didn't scare me more. So, cause I walk outside, I was ready to breathe the air. It felt like your lungs instantly collapse. Does anybody know what I'm talking about? Like you panic, you feel like you can't breathe. And then he said, don't put ice cubes in your drink. Don't ever drink a cold drink. Because I just went, I got room temperature water, and I took a big swig, and seriously, it felt like you're drinking glass shards, and it goes all the way down, and I'm like, what did they put inside of me? And it was like that for months and months. It was a terrible process. But anybody that walked through me through that process knows that it was one of the best processes I've ever been through in my life because there was a purpose in it. And one of the purposes was, Bart, are you going to let me be right in this situation? God poured on my heart right away as soon as I got diagnosed that he was going to heal me. And I had stage 3B colon cancer. We didn't know where all it was. There was one time they do a PET scan to see if it's anywhere else in your body. So it may be stage four, it may be through other organs or whatever. And the whole time I'm praying and then God just keeps laying on my heart and the spirit of God just keeps telling me, this is going to be for my purpose and you are going to be healed. But it didn't feel like that when I was on chemo and when I was going through radiation. It didn't feel like that when you had friends trying to talk you into thinking it's worse than it is or thinking, eh, well, don't put all your hope in God. And you're like, okay, you know, but the people do that. Even the church does that. I had Christian friends that are like, well, don't, don't put your head in the sand with this, man. You got to really take it serious. I just told you God was going to heal me. It's all right. You can agree with me and then walk away and talk behind my back. I mean, come on. You know, don't have to tell me to my face I'm wrong. But, but, but what happens through that process is that you learn so much about God's grace, God's mercy, and how, how important a process is, even when it hurts even when it's not great or how you like it. There's a process in it. And that humbling that we all must have in this Christian life comes in those, it comes in those moments uh, to where I don't like anybody to help me. If my mom was here, she'd say amen right now. I don't want anybody to help me. I went to 40-some, 50-some uh, chemo treatments and only had one person drive me one time. Because I am somewhat like Pharaoh. God started breaking that though. Stubborn. And, and then throughout some of that other process, I didn't want any visitors. Not because I didn't, I just didn't want to trouble anybody. Of course you want love knowing, but you just don't want to trouble anybody. Oh, don't, you do your thing. You go to work. I'm all right. And what you do is you start eliminating 
the people of God from just helping you and being there for you. It's a gift to serve, right? And so I started eliminating people from serving me. And they were doing it in the name of the Lord. And so God taught me a lot through that as well. So processes are important. Some of you may be going through a process or, or what have you. I just want to tell you there's a purpose in it. In Exodus 9, we're going to talk about uh, some of that as well. God's truth was he was going to heal me. And it happened. But it didn't happen until two major surgeries. It didn't happen until I went through the full rounds of chemo and radiation. It didn't happen until then. But I can tell you this much. Some of you might be saying, man, chemo and radiation really helped you, Bart Zirkle. And some of you might say that, that that surgery saved your life. I was in a room full of people that also had chemo and radiation and also had surgeries that did not make it. So I don't know what to tell you when it comes to that. I just know that God was good to me during that period of time, and I'm grateful for it, and I'm cancer-free today because of it. So that's how God works. So when we go to Exodus chapter 9, which you can go there now, we're going to read, I'm going to read through Exodus 9, the first part of it real quick, and then we're going to jump back into Exodus chapter 5, 7, and, and so forth. And we're going to talk about this process. So Exodus 9, verse 1, this is the fifth plague. It says, Then the Lord said to Moses, Go into Pharaoh and tell him, Thus says the Lord God of the Hebrews, Let my people go that they may serve me. For if you refuse to let them go and still hold them, behold, the hand of the Lord will be on your cattle in the field, on the horses, on the donkeys, on the camels, and on the oxen, and on the sheep. A very severe pestilence. And the Lord will make a difference between the livestock of Israel and the livestock of Egypt. So nothing shall die of all that belongs to the children of Israel. Then the Lord, then the Lord appointed a set time saying, Tomorrow the Lord will do this thing in the land. So he has a set time as well. Verse 6. So the Lord did this thing the next day. And all the livestock of Egypt died. But of the livestock of the children of Israel, not one died. Then Pharaoh sent, and indeed not even one of the livestock of, Israel, of the Israelites was dead. But the heart of Pharaoh became hard, and he did not let the people go. There is so much happening just in this little uh, section that I just read. But first off... Sometimes when I just, I'm going to look at a couple perspectives here. And as Pastor Joey had been teaching, Moses and Aaron have this great calling on their life suddenly. And sometimes when we're called, it, it, man, it seems glorious. You know, a lot of times initially when you're first called, it seems great, man. I, I get to speak for the Lord or I get to do this, but sometimes the Lord puts you in front of a Pharaoh and you have to be a truth teller. And that's the hard part of ministry when you have to be a truth teller. You know, you might be saying, well, you should always be a truth teller. That's fine, but what happens when it's on your doorstep? Sometimes we're fallible, and sometimes the sheep are bad. Get that joke? <laughs> I've been saving that one. <laughs> but sometimes the sheep are bad. 
we're all sheep. We all are, even pastors and leaders and elders and so forth. And sometimes we're bad. And sometimes we need iron sharpening iron, correction. Now, people are like, iron sharpening iron, that's tough. But iron's rough, isn't it? You know, it's rough, but it has a purpose. And so even Pharaoh was given an opportunity to listen to God. Even Pharaoh. We, we tend to put villains in Scripture and think that, that God has no grace for them either. Even Pharaoh. Was Pharaoh not given an opportunity here to listen? Let my people go so that they may serve me. And, and through that process, how, how much fear did Moses, did he have when he had to look at Pharaoh? Pharaoh's in charge, right? He's the big dog. And here comes Moses and says, hey, um, I know I've done this a few times already, and you don't seem to be listening, but God wants you to let the people go so they can serve him. And if it does not happen this time, we've already had some plagues. And if it does not happen this time, all the cattle, all the horses, all the oxen in the field, all those things, Yours are going to die, but not ours. Ours are going to live. Ours are going to be okay. Now, see, <clears throat> to some of us, that might not be a big deal. I mean, some people in here have some cows and stuff like that. But back then, cows were Rolls Royces. How many people in here got a Rolls Royce? Okay, that's what you do. I'm available for lunch. Oh, cows. <laughs> I know you got cows. I tried to tip one of them over one time. No. Anybody want to go cow tipping? Just kidding. So, no, that's the truth, though. Like, they were, they were the wealth of the person. You were taken away, by this plague happening, you were taken away the livelihood and wealth of the Egyptians. That was, that was their equity. That was their equity. And so this plague was so severe because not only was it taken away their equity, it was taken away their, their, their livelihood. That's, that's how you judge. That's, that's how you judge. That's how, I mean, farmers probably do it to this day. I, I don't know if you show up at the airport cafe or what, and you're like, yeah, you got 20 head of cattle now. Oh, well, Bill's got 400. Oh, well, pfft. So then you got to go out and buy more because you got to have more than Bill. Maybe that's something farmers do. I don't know. I've never been a farmer. I was on Farmville for a while until it was out. Um, but I've never been a real farmer. But I will tell you that it's not just farmers. Don't we all do stuff like this? Don't we all judge what our neighbors may have or what someone else has? We don't say it out loud. We don't dare do that. We don't even look in the mirror and say it. But man, we need that. I need that 2018 Chevy Silverado. It looks really good. It looks really good. But you, you got a 2014. It's okay. It still drives right? But that 2018, man, that new body style, everything, the grill on the front, that looks real good. I mean, it's way better than a Ford or a Dodge because it's a Chevy, right? Makes sense. I mean, it does. But, but we sit there and we, we think that way or, or how we dress. We need to look good. We need to fit in. You know how many people I know that won't come to, and this is the excuse, they won't come to church because I don't have anything to wear. I mean, what do you got to wear? If that was a rule, you know how bad, I'm going to convict uh, myself right now. You know how bad I wanted to wear sweatpants here today? (laughs) 
I'm like, man, why can't we have a church where I can just wear sweatpants and my Cleveland Brown sweatshirt and just walk up here and talk about Jesus? Because it, I'm having one of those days that sweatpants seem real nice. <laughs> right? <laughs> You're like, they got that elastic in them and everything. And I ate a little too much yesterday. And so that seems real nice. But, but in your mind, well, you're, you're talking today. You got to wear your nice chinos from Brooks Brothers. Right? And that's what we think, though. That's, that's the process of how some of us think. And here, their livelihood, how they beat their chest and think of themselves, how they define who they are as people in Egypt, were based on cattle, horses, camels and oxen so when the plague came to them destroyed how they defined who they were it did and so this was a severe plague according to God okay so then here's another perspective Pharaoh himself having already been through four plagues how many plagues do you need to listen to God I don't know I don't know I don't know you answer that yourself but I would think, I would hope that if frogs started falling out of the sky, I'd be like, you got me, God. I'm ready. I'm ready, right? But no, frogs weren't enough. None of that stuff was enough. And here comes this plague. And Pharaoh wakes up the next morning and goes, hey, go check the Israelites' cows. Go check their cows. Does that mean he's doubting God? How do you doubt God already after four plagues already? But yet he still doubted. You know what that doubt is? That's a lack of fear of who God is. That's a lack of fear of who God is. And so Pharaoh didn't have enough guts himself to go and look. He sent someone, and they came back and said, yeah, the Israelites got all their cattle. Ours are dead. That's not good. That's not good. So that's, 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 a, that's a perspective that we don't always talk about. And then not one of the Israelites died. That means God held his promise to Moses. This is now the fifth plague, and in all five, God held his promise through this process. I'm going to drive this home because often God's holding his promise. We're just lacking obedience because the process we want to quit. I said, I, I, got to, I got to talk about this. Some, some of you didn't pay for the book or the t-shirt, but you're going to get this from the men's conference. So in my family, my brother, I hope he's watching this, um, was a trapper. And he's still a trapper, loves to trap. And he, he nearly ruined my life for a while because everybody wants to be like their older brother. And then you realize, I don't want to be anything like him, man. This guy gets up at four in the morning and puts, I mean, I, we're not going to go into that. <clears throat> but, but he would go hunting or, and trapping. And sometimes you'd catch an animal, and sometimes you don't, and sometimes you catch a part of an animal. But that part preaches. What I mean by that is sometimes you go to the trap, and there's a foot there, but there's not the rest. So what happened to that animal? Anybody know what happened to that animal? It was desperate. And it was like, I am not going to be here in the morning. You can keep the foot. I'm getting out of here. I'm getting out of here. And that's what happened. That's what happened. Because throughout that process of being in a trap, that animal wasn't going to give up. 
that animal was going to, if need be, chew its leg off to run away or hop away or kind of three-leg it or tripod it, whatever you do to get away. That's what that animal did. I thought that was so unique. I'm like, man, kudos to that little animal that's now maimed for the rest of its life. But kudos. I hope it does well in life. But that's how we are often through a process. You know, through the process, even though God's truth is still truth, sometimes we're in that trap and we're like, I want to quit. It's too hard. It's too difficult. You start throughout this cancer thing. I could have sat there and started listening to people. It's not going to go well. I could have used my own eyes. And then I don't know if anybody's ever done this, but in the can- cancer treatment faci- or the chemo treatment facility, it, it's like a U shape and you're in a room full of like 20 or 30 people. And they're putting chemo in, in, in your veins through your port and everything. And you're just sitting there and you watch one by one as the process go, people all of a sudden aren't coming back because they didn't make it. That didn't preach to me because God, you said I was going to make it. Okay? And so that's a real process. So whatever process you're in, whatever trap you're in, it's real to you also. And so there's a moment of time where you may want to quit. You may want to give up. You may even want to blame God because that's about to happen. Also, wait a second, God. You said if we went and told him this, this would happen. Well, there's a, there's a road and you have to go down that road. So, verse 6 again, I'm going to read that again. It said, so the Lord did this thing the next day, and all the livestock of Egypt died, but of the livestock of the children of Israel, not one died. Then Pharaoh sent, and indeed, he found all that out. But the heart of Pharaoh became hard, and he did not let the people go. Hard hearts are something that you need to watch out for. As Christians, we can grow hard-hearted. Trust me. Just join the ministry if you want to know. Because the sheep sometimes get a hard heart to where they don't want to serve anymore. Or if it's not for them, they're out. Or they don't want to give. Or they don't even like people. But they want Jesus. The love of Jesus unifies. It does. There's no way around it. And sometimes when we say, we don't want that love, or I'm not called to that, That's not my calling. That's your calling, Pastor Joey. That's your calling, Pastor Ron. That's your calling, elders. That's your calling, children's ministry. It's not my calling. We're all called. We're all in this together, people. If Jesus comes back and walks through those doors right now, I bet everybody wants to be on the same team, right? I'm all in, right? But that's the thing is that we need to conduct ourselves as people that love the Lord now. We don't need to wait until the last minute. And the children of Israel went through this process and it was difficult. I'm going to move on to uh, verse 8 real quick, the sixth plague. I'm doing really good. You guys might might be able to get steak and shake. It's open 24 hours, right? Okay. Good deal. Verse 8, it says, So the Lord said to Moses and Aaron, Take for yourselves handfuls of ashes from a furnace. And let Moses scatter it toward the heavens in the sight of Pharaoh. And it will become fine dust in the land of Egypt, and it will cause boils that break out in sores on man and beast throughout the land of Egypt. Then they took the ashes from the furnace and stood before Pharaoh 
and Moses and scattered them toward heaven. And they caused boils to break out in sores on man and beast. And the magicians could not stand before Moses because of the boils. And for the boils were on the magicians and all of the Egyptians. But the Lord hardened the heart of Pharaoh, and he did not heed them, just as the Lord had spoken to Moses. There's a lot there, too. First off, the Lord now says to Moses, after being rejected, by the, by the way, ministry is not easy. Moses had been rejected now by Pharaoh five times. You don't want to make this guy mad. He's in charge. And so humbly, you have to come again and say, okay, I know you haven't listened for five times now, but now God's asking us to, to do this. And like LeBron James, he goes and gets the powder. Seriously, no joke. He goes and gets the dust of the furnace and throws it up into the face of Pharaoh. That's a pretty bold move, right? That's a pretty bold move. And God says, if you do this, I'm going to cause boils and, and all this to happen to the men of, of Egypt, the, 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 the Egyptians. Okay, well, you better, God. If you're going to ask me to do that, I'm not going to live much longer. So this is, this is what occurred also. The furnace, what you may not know, do I really want to go back there? Can, yeah, of course. Exodus 5. To understand something, we have to go back and, and look at it again. So in Exodus chapter 5, uh, something significant happens that has to do with this particular furnace. So in verse 1 it says, in Exodus chapter 5, Afterward, Moses and Aaron went in and told Pharaoh, Thus says the Lord God of Israel, Let my people go, that they may hold a feast to me in the wilderness. And Pharaoh said, Who is the Lord that I should obey his voice to let Israel go? I do not know the Lord, nor will I let Israel go. So they said, The God of the Hebrews was met, has met with us. Please let us go three days' journey into the desert and sacrifice to the Lord our God, lest he fall upon us with pestilence or with sword. The, the entire time God is saying, let my people go, it's so they can worship him. Let my people go so they can serve. Let my people go so they can worship. Let my people go so we can party. Let my people go so we can fellowship, so that they can be together, so that they can worship him. So Pharaoh's getting mad already in chapter 5. Verse 4, Then the king of Egypt said to them, Moses and Aaron, why do you take the people from their work? Get back to your labor. They were, they were laughing at them. Of course we're not going to do this. Go back to work. Get these people out of here. Look, the people of the land are many now. You make them rest from their labor. They're upset because our slaves aren't working. You're taking our time. You're taking them away from their work. So one of the things that Pharaoh did, I'll just, I'll, well, let's keep reading. So the same day Pharaoh commanded the taskmasters of the people and their officers saying, you shall no longer give the people straw to make brick as before. 
Let them go and gather their straw for themselves, and you shall lay on them the quota of bricks, which they made before. You shall not reduce it, for they are, the, they are idle. Therefore, they cry out, saying, Let us go and sacrifice to our God. Let more work be laid on the men, and they may labor in it, and let them not regard false words. What's happening here is this. Pharaoh's so mad that you had the audacity to come to me and ask for my pe- your people to be let go. This is what I'm going to do. Instead of bringing the straw to them, they can go get their own straw now. They can work harder. By the way, the furnaces where the ashes were, the ashes were from the straw where they were making bricks. They would go back to the furnaces where they made all those bricks because Pharaoh made them work harder. And because they worked harder, this is how a process really works. The hard work the Israelites hated. Why are you doing this to us? And Pharaoh beat his chest. But that hard work made the Israelites stronger. And it gave Pharaoh boils. So Pharaoh didn't even realize that what he was having the Israelites do was his own demise because of what's in his heart as opposed to what's in Moses' heart. So this furnace, Moses and Aaron go and get the ashes out of it where they made the bricks and they throw it in the face of Pharaoh. You know, God commanded them to do that. God's pretty cool. He's like, huh, watch this, man. Put this in Pharaoh's face. Sometimes God will ask you to do something he wants as a gift to you. And it was a gift to Moses to do this thing, but it was scary. Sure, Pharaoh's in charge. It could backfire. It could backfire. How could it backfire? Only if God's a liar. And he's not, is he? Sometimes our fear questions God's word. Doesn't it? Because if Moses were to worry, it would only be because he did not trust God's word. God's word said this is going to happen. And so far, out of five plagues, it happened exactly how God said it was going to happen every single time. But this particular time, Moses was a little worried, but his obedience did it anyway. You do not have to agree with God to be obedient. You just have to be obedient because he is truth. Oftentimes, throughout our life, we don't agree with God. We'll go apologize to this person. Are you serious, God? You know what they did. Well, God's a peacemaker, and he called you to be a peacemaker too. Right? All right, fine. Sometimes God will ask us and stretch us to do things that we don't want to do, but our obedience will pay off because God loves an obedient heart. Trust his word. It will not fail. So in Exodus 9, also it says, out of this entire thing, something weird happens. Why has it got to talk about the magicians? Anybody notice all of a sudden we're talking about magicians? Boom, magicians. They got boils too. Here's why that's important. The Egyptians worship these magicians. Say that 12 times. Say it three. <laughs> if you're from West Liberty, you can only say it two times. <clears throat> See, now I'm telling West Liberty jokes. Way to go, Pastor Joey. But seriously, these magicians would do these fancy things and these tricks and these these awe miracles. And they would astound the people of Egypt and they gave them great power. 
So even the Egyptians got the boils. That was God saying, and nobody got power but me. I'm the only one that has real power. That's me. That might not mean a lot to some of you yet. But it'll mean a lot if you go through the death of a loved one. When God says, even death has no power over me. Watch what I do next. When God heals marriages that are so broken and shattered that who could possibly heal this? God can. When God removes tumors from your body that are cancerous and trying to kill you, that's cool. That's great. That's my God. That's how awesome and amazing God is. God works miracles every day, and we don't give him enough credit for them. But he does. And it's just spectacular what he does. Because magicians have zero power. There's not a pastor on this planet that has more power than God. Not one. There's not a good person on this planet. There's not a president on this planet. Not a prime minister on this planet that has more power than God. There's not a nuclear weapon on this planet that has more power than God. And there's not enough hate on this planet that has more power than God and more love than Jesus Christ. He unifies. He brings back together. It's just whatever perspective you're looking at it through. You may find out, hey, I'm a lot like Pharaoh and I don't want to be anymore. Then before another plague comes, say, I got to let God's people go. (laughs) What does that mean? That could be you. Maybe you're Moses and Aaron and you're on a 40-day journey that's taken 40 years. And you just got to get busy and keep trusting God and be obedient. Pastor Joey's going to be teaching in the future about the Israelites' reactions. Even they got tired of Moses and Aaron because the process is long and the process is difficult. But stay obedient in the process. It is the only thing worth it to serve God in this life. It is the only thing worth it. Your last day, you're not going to think, man, you know what? I really worked hard at my job. It's going to matter what you did in this life. We had the, our ministry weekend this was called Legacy. What are you leaving? Your life is defining something. Your life is a motion picture that people are watching. Are you the bad guy or are you the good guy? And people are watching because your life preaches. You don't even need to say a word, Pastor Ron. Your life preaches. You guys don't have to say a word. Your life preaches. Your love preaches. How you, how you are in society preaches. How you care for the lost and the hurting preaches. How obedient you are when it's difficult and tough preaches. Your actions preach. And your words don't even have to. That's leaving a legacy is that when your life comes to an end and you are no longer here on this earth, you got a whole bunch of people around you going, man, the Lord did an amazing thing in that person's life. That's leaving a legacy. That's what preaches. And we all know people, you're all thinking right now of somebody in your life that left a legacy. That's awesome. Well, now that's your calling. God wants you to do the same thing. So, gosh, hey, we're going to be able to hit McDonald's and then steak and shake. Do not go to McDonald's. I got so much more that I want to go back to chapter 6 and 7, but I'm not going to. But I will go back to chapter 7 one more time. And in chapter 7 of Exodus, and chapter 7 is where I'll close. 
So we know in the beginning of chapter 9 the things that God has challenged Moses with, the plagues, and that Moses was obedient and did those things. But one thing that was said in the end of the last section I read was that God hardened the heart of Pharaoh. That was the first time that happened because so far Pharaoh's been hardening his own heart. But at some point, as you continue to harden your own heart, eventually God will turn you over to it. Eventually God will say, you want to harden your heart? Fine, I'll help you do it. Don't ever get to that place full of bitter and stubbornness. It was Pharaoh's bitter stubbornness that kept him fighting against God. A fight you cannot win. A fight you cannot absolutely win. Many men in here and many women in here have ran from God for years and years and years, and you can go back and look at your history. And you ran and you fled, but he outran you, didn't he? You hid, but he found you. Right? You were faithless, but he wasn't. He was true. That's how good, that's how good God is. And maybe you look back and be like, oh, I wasted a lot of years. No, you didn't. He got you right on time. God's always on time, right? And so here in 7, is God's promise being true. Verse 1 says, So the Lord said to Moses, See, I have made you as God to Pharaoh, and Aaron, your brother, shall be your prophet. You shall speak all that I command you, and Aaron, your brother, shall tell Pharaoh to send the children of Israel out of the land, and I will harden Pharaoh's heart. Well, he just did it. He's the one that just hardened Pharaoh's heart. And multiply my signs and my wonders in the land of Egypt. But Pharaoh will not heed you. Well, that's why he's not letting the people go. This is before several things. So that I may lay my hand on Egypt and bring my armies and my people the children of Israel out of the land of Egypt by great judgments. And the Egyptians shall know that I am the Lord. The purpose of your life, the purpose of our process, the purpose of even the pain you may go through, the purpose is always so that God can magnify the fact that I am Lord. I will do this because I am Lord and they will know I am Lord. Even though that Pharaoh was bitter, even though that his heart was hardened, he knew exactly who the Lord was. He just got to miss it because he was a stubborn fool. So for us, being children of God, being obedient servants of God, being people that want to obey, that want to honor God, we're required that even when it's hard and it's difficult to persevere, even if it means chewing your leg out of a trap. That's what it means. Don't give up. Don't, don't surrender. Amen. So we've got McCannsburg Christian Fellowship. We've got some seats available, Pastor Joey. Let's fill them up. Let's, let's fill them up. We don't have time to waste, do we? We don't have time to waste. Every day in our community, every day where we're at, 
there are people that are missing an opportunity to, to, to know who Jesus is. And a lot of times they may be missing that opportunity because our hearts are hardened, because we're not called to that, or because we lack the obedience that Moses and Aaron had that when it's difficult, be a truth teller. And being a truth teller doesn't always have to say, hey, if you don't do this, God's going to bring destruction. Being a truth teller may be walking up to that hard-hearted man and saying, Jesus loves you. He loves you. It may be unifying with people that don't want to be unified. There's a lot of those, aren't there? There are. There's a lot of people that don't want to come together in Christ. But that's not Christ's plan, so we're going to do it anyway. Even if you have to be a doormat for Jesus, it's the best doormat you'll ever be for the rest of your life. Right? So I'm going to pray, and when I'm going to pray... I'm praying a calling on each of you, because everyone in here has a calling, not just Pastor Joey, not just Pastor Ron. Everyone in here has a calling. And then I'm going to pray for the same power that Moses had to, to look in the face of his enemy and demand that he does what is truth, and that's be obedient to the Lord. So, Father, I thank you for the people here of Mechanicsburg Christian Fellowship, God. I thank you for the women. I thank you for the children. I thank you for the men of this church. I thank you for the young, Lord, that they're zealous to do a work for you. I thank you for the, the elderly, Lord, that they're, they're wise and that they've got experience, God. I pray that we would come together in this church and be unified, God, to do a wonderful work that at the end of our days, God, that people would understand that you are Lord. Father, I pray that we be an example of the love of Christ I pray that we be an example of truth, but most of all, God, I pray that we would persevere and be an example of obedience, that when it's tough and when it's hard, that we do not give up, that we persevere and that we endure and we do it all for the name of the Lord God. I pray for supernatural healings, God. I pray for people in this church that if their, if their marriage be on thin ice, God, I pray you would put a, a strong foundation under them to support them, Father. I pray you would put a hedge of protection around them to bind them together, Lord, as you have bound your believers together. And I pray that you fall, uh, bring love to their household, God. And Lord, if there be any strife amongst brothers and sisters in this church, it is not worth wasting another day, God. I pray that you heal that heart, Father. And that your love would unify. 1 Corinthians 13 says, The greatest of these is love, God, and we believe it, God. And I pray your great love and your great mercy over this church right now in Jesus' name, God. I pray that you would bring great works and great wonders in your Holy Spirit to this church, God. I pray for salvation, God. These empty seats would be full of new believers someday, Lord, and someday soon in the name of Jesus Christ, God. We give you all the praise. We give you all the glory, God, for your King of kings and Lord of lords. Amen.